0: you are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Katherine Cruz. Today, we spotlight Hanauma Bay. The Marine Life Conservation District has been closed to the public for more than four months. And during this time, stakeholders have been regrouping to ask how best to manage the resource. Joining us for today's call-in show, uh, Brian Nielsen. He's with the Division of Aquatic Resources in the State Department of Land and Natural Resources. Hi, Brian.
1: Good morning, how are you?
0: Good, I'm glad you're able to return to the show. And Kule Rogers is the principal investigator at the Hawaii Institute of Marine Biology's Coral Reef Ecology Lab. She's been with the lab since 1992. Good morning, Kule. Good morning. Thank you for having us. And Nathan Sirota is the public information officer with the city's Parks and Recreation uh, Department. Hi, Nate.
2: Hey, Catherine. Aloha, coffee. Okay, everyone.
0: And you know, Nate, maybe we'll start with you. What's the general snapshot on the city plan for Hanama Bay?
2: Sure. So, as you mentioned before, uh, the Hanama Bay Nature Preserve is still closed. Uh, It was closed back in uh, March on March 18th with the rest of um, pretty much all of the Department of Parks and Recreation public facilities. Um, Right now, there's a couple of key things that we're working on. As you mentioned, we have um, some collaborative efforts to look ahead to see how we can um, better manage uh, the nature preserve uh, because that's one of the key things we want to focus on in the future. Um, Hanama Bay is not just a beautiful beach uh, and a fantastic snorkeling destination but it's also an nature preserve um, that is focused on conservation and education efforts Um, so that's why when people first come into the Bay you're funneled into that education center and we have that uh, orientation video um, that focuses uh, a lot on the history of the Bay uh, how to enjoy it responsibly uh, and also how to enjoy it safely Um, one other thing that we're working on right now too is actually increasing the fees uh, for non-residents to enter the Bay Uh, Previously, it was uh, $7.50 for anyone 13 years and older uh, to enter the bay, and it was free for Kama'aina. It will remain free for Kama'aina, but we're looking to increase the fee uh, to $10 per person. Uh, One of the reasons that's important is because the fees that we gather from um, our Malahini, from the visitors um, who aren't local, um, goes directly into uh, the operations at Hanama Bay. Um, so there's a special fund design or set up uh, for that money to go into and that's uh, where everything goes uh, gets drawn from uh, whether it be maintenance lifeguards um, education programs things along those lines um, so that's actually bill 44 uh, that's going through uh, the city council uh, it's up for third reading and I believe the next uh, city council the whole city council is in August on August 12th um, the agenda hasn't come out yet but that's um, where it should be uh, um, discussed for the final reading.
0: Okay, so public will get a chance to weigh in on that. Yeah. And uh, Kule, how long have you been doing research down there at Hanama? Uh,
3: We started our coral reef assessment and monitoring program, our long-term monitoring program that has sites throughout the entire state, in 1999. the, um, The current project we have going is a biological carrying capacity of Panama Bay, and that we have been doing, this is our third year now.
0: Okay, and and you folks are looking at a number of things. You're looking at, uh, uh, what, uh, coral bleaching, right, the water quality you're looking at, and uh, uh, fish behavior, uh, just all kinds of things, just to see what's happening when there are no bodies over there, no human bodies right. anyway. <laughs>
3: You know, although this virus is very difficult for our Hawaii's health and economy, it's really provided a unique opportunity for us as researchers to do some unprecedented things in the Bay. So during this closure, we've shifted our focus to look at changes in the fish and coral communities. And um, this temporary closure provides us with the rare chance to determine any differences, like you say, with and without visitor impact. So we're looking at several types of fish stereoscopic video techniques and still cameras to look at fish behavior and foraging, to look at how close these fish come uh, when visitors are not there compared to when they are. We're looking at growth rates, um, coral recruitment, monk seals and sea turtle censuses. But the one thing that I actually have data already because we did this prior, the closure is on water clarity and we are finding that right now while it's closed the water is 42 percent clearer than when the bay was open to visitors and that's 17 foot better visibility now we also looked at tuesdays when the bay was closed during the opening period and that had a 7-foot visibility, better visibility on Tuesday than when the visitors were there, and 18% clearer. But during this time, it's even clearer than it was during the Tuesday closures. So it's taking time for that sediment to uh, to settle.
0: Well, I imagine, though, that's an awful lot of sunscreen that's not in the water, right, when you don't have all those crowds there.
3: That's one of the things, but that should be able to be flushed out with the current um, over a 24-hour period, so looking at Tuesday. And we're not looking on the top of the water where most of the sunscreen is. We're looking in the water for visibility for what fish would see. And another thing we are seeing now, we haven't quite quantified it yet, but larger fishes, more movement, uh, they're... We're able to approach them closer. And then compositional shifts of different types of fish. We're starting to see anecdotally some of these things as well, which we will quantify when the bay reopens.
0: And Brian, what's the snapshot from the state's perspective?
1: Yeah, so um, uh, right after the governor's emergency proclamation back in March and the stay-at-home order uh, Division of Aquatic Resources um, had to suspend all of its field activities, you know, dive and boating operations. So, you know, our field biologists were you know, at home teleworking, writing reports. Uh, meanwhile, you know, our, our biologists um, are just salivating at the, the opportunities to get out right now and, and document um, the changes um, with the, you know, severe uh limitations in in use with closing down public beaches and, um, and tourism, you know, almost crashing to a halt. Uh, So uh, we really did want to try to figure out a way to get out and, and document uh, what was going on, but do that in a safe manner. So our, our biologists were able to, to figure out some, some new protocols um, to incorporate the health and safety guidelines and, and social distancing and and get out and and document what they were seeing uh, during the closure. Um, But we mainly focused on uh, documenting fishing activity, um, but also uh, getting in the water, uh, similar to um, what Kule described at Hanama Bay and and documenting um, fish uh, with fish surveys. And then also walking shorelines, documenting turtle and, and monk seals. And then also just documenting uh, any other anecdotal observations um, that that they saw while they're they're doing field activity? So, in terms of um, what we are seeing uh, with fishing activity, um, uh, we saw major increases in fishing activity, uh, especially at the beginning of the stay, stay at home order, and, and that's um, uh, you know declining a little bit as as the restrictions um, have laxed and and people are going back to work. Um, But, you know, personally, I've never seen so many um, people walking around with fishing rods in Waikiki, for example. I don't know if it's because they can actually find a parking spot or what, um, but that's just something I noticed. Um, But, uh, you know, with people out of work, um, this provided uh, maybe more time to go fishing, but also a way to get food on the table and and avoid uh, grocery stores or or other, you know, public places. Um, uh, We also saw... um, you know, commercial fishing uh, really declined with, with the crash of, um, of commercial um, fish prices um, with uh, restaurants closed and, and tourist markets um, closing. Uh, in terms of uh, the snorkel and dive surveys uh, that um, uh, our biologists conducted, uh, we focused a lot on marine life conservation districts like Hanama Bay, um, and similar to what uh, Kule described, um, we saw increases in the number of fish um, and the type of um, fish species uh, that we saw. And then fish behavior was also uh, much different. And, you know, these are just anecdotal observations, but fish seem to be much more approachable. They they'd get closer to the divers and then also seeing a, a lot more fish closer to shore. Uh, so we did surveys out at uh, Molokini uh, Shoal, a uh, marine life conservation district in Maui, uh, and uh, our staff saw a lot more predatory fish out there, uh, species like jacks, alua, barracuda, and uh, Honolulu Bay and Maui um, saw um, schools of akule uh, more close um, to shore than usual. Uh, Hanama Bay, um, uh, more predatory fish like papio, alua in the near shore, and then you uh, uh, also um, as Kule mentioned the, the water clarity was remarkable I, I I had the opportunity to go out there a couple of months ago and just thinking man my, my photography is just um, spectacular today um, so that that makes a lot of sense that the, the um, you know measurements they've been making with water clarity have gone up and I don't know if that's just from the lack of people kicking up um, sand and stuff as they're in the near shore Um but you know that might have something to do with it. Well, we should and mention. Then, oh yeah, go ahead.
0: We should mention though, since you did talk about fishing, yeah. is that Hanama mm-hmm. Bay, you know, that's kapu, right? that fishermen can't go down there, and if you're caught poaching, you could be in big trouble.
1: Absolutely, and um, you know, people might think right now with the lack of people, it might be easier to sneak in there and and fish, but absolutely not. There, you know, um, people are are watching the bay and um, not. Not um, allowed for fishing right now So that's a good point
0: Yes, we do have a caretaker down there uh, he, He's yeah. the eyes and ears And so uh, I know I've talked with him And he says, yep, uh, he's busted um, uh, Many of folks who are not supposed to be down there uh, You know, when it's closed um, You know, we were out with uh, Kool-Aid And her team of researchers on uh, Friday morning As they set out to survey the bay um, We got Kool-Aid before she went in the water To do her coral study, here's a bit of what she said.
4: I'm looking at coral growth. I want to see if corals are growing at a faster or lesser rate during the closure than when the visitors return. And I do this in the most uninvasive way as possible, by wiring a a coral with one of these pieces of wire and then measuring it from that base to the tip because the growing tip is the area where the corals normally will exceed their linear extension. Corals grow very slowly, as you know, so we don't have to do it as often as we're doing many of the other surveys like fishes. We will do it a couple times after and get a daily rate of growth and then we have the daily rate during the closure. As long as the city keeps it closed, we'll continue our research And as soon as they open up, then we can look at different levels of visitors and what effect that might have. So you really are getting then an interesting baseline during this time. It's a wonderful baseline for fishes, for sedimentation, for corals and other invertebrates. It's really nice to be able to quantify what's happening in the absence of tourists. Now a lot of researchers throughout the world are actually looking at the impacts of tourism because it has shut down in many places, and we've really coordinated well here in Hawaii. We have Alan Friedlander and his group looking at the marine life conservation districts, finding things like a thousand aholehole hole over at uh, Sharks Cove and large schools of papio over at Molokini. The Division of Aquatic Resources on all of the islands, especially Maui and Oahu, are looking at shoreline, doing shoreline surveys so that they can see what the changes have
0: been. And, Brian, I don't know, is there anything you want to add just about uh, what you're doing on the neighbor islands? I know we have a lot of listeners uh, throughout the state that are interested.
1: Yeah, so so we are uh, conducting um, snow snorkel and dive surveys in the neighbor islands, um, as well as as the the fishing activity surveys uh, as well. Um, And we've seen major increases in in turtle basking on beaches um, throughout the neighbor islands. Uh, It's been a general trend. Um, As well as um, in our estuaries where the, the rivers meet the ocean, we're seeing a lot more awama. Kalaloo, um, Papio are running in those areas. So, uh, you know, a lot of the trends that we're seeing in Oahu are, are very similar uh, statewide right now.
0: Well, if you're just joining the conversation, we're talking about one of Oahu's most popular resources. We'd like to know uh, how you feel about reopening Honoma Bay. You can call us at 941 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands or share your comments on our Facebook page. And you know, uh, Nate, I, when I was down there with Kule and her team on Friday, I did happen to talk to some of the staff and. Uh, I was uh, surprised to learn that they said that they had actually cleared out a lot of the the feral chickens uh, down there in the bay. I think it was it happened like a couple of weeks ago. and then they're also uh, trying to clear the the bottom area of the feral cats They're trying to get them up to the top. I think they had like 27 cats in a, um, in, in, a in a colony up there. What can you share with us about managing that part of the bay?
2: Sure. so uh, yeah, definitely animals like that at a risk to some of the other animal, uh, animals that may inhabit uh, Hanabo Bay. I know uh, Dr. Rogers had mentioned some monk seals um, coming to the, the beach a little bit more, and uh, there's been a correlation between sequel uh, matter from cats and uh, toxoplasmosis affecting uh, monk seals. So we, we very much try to uh, engage with our partners at the Hawaiian Humane Society uh, for the Catch, spay, Neuter, and Release program. Unfortunately, it's, it's just a matter of trying to keep up with the, the population. Uh, there's, you know, Hanawa Bay is not too far from Hawaii Kai, and uh, the Hawaii Kai Park and Ride is actually a location where you get a lot of feral cats and it's not too uh, far away from Hanawa Bay. Uh, so it's it's really, for lack of a better term, really a cat-and-mouse game uh, to try and uh, get ahead of the population and um, spay or neuter those cats before they can continue to reproduce. Um, so it, it's, it, it can be difficult, but, yeah, it's luckily we have good partnerships with some uh, uh, contractors and Hawaiian Humane Society in that
0: regard. And you know, Kool-Aid, I, I know there is that concern with the uh, monk seals and the toxoplasmosis from the cat feces. Um, I don't know. Are you seeing more monk seals there on the beach?
3: You know, anecdotally, we're seeing more monk seals, but statistically, we can't say that because there are so few of them. But they definitely have changed where they beach. They used to go on the rocky ledges, and now we're seeing them right on the beach in front of keyhole and places where visitors used to frequent.
0: Okay. Well, you know, when, when we were out there with you on Friday, um, Sarah Servino, she was explaining to one of your other researchers, Denise Oishi, about how to place the temperature loggers in the strategic areas throughout the bay, and I understand it was part of a study on coral bleaching.
5: We don't want to start it until it's good and ready and in position. So if we're starting four of them and we're putting them in all the different sectors, maybe we'll start them at noon because we know that all four will be placed by noon. So we're going to tell it to remote start at noon and we want it to take temperature measurements in 15 minute intervals. Usually the battery can last for around six months and then you'll pick it up. For you, you're going to be setting them out now, and then you're gonna be picking them up at the end of the summer. We've had temperature loggers in all main sectors of the bay. And I don't know if you're familiar with the bay here, but we've broken it up into four different parts. So we have backdoors, keyhole, channel, and witches brew. Our our keyhole and channel areas are where like 95% of the snorkelers and waders go. Backdoors isn't as popular, which is, very, is even less popular. And then offshore is maybe 1% of the people go offshore, which is a shame. That's where it's really beautiful. But we have to remember that the majority of the people coming to Hanama Bay are very new snorkelers.
0: And Kuala, I know that it's all part of the uh, survey to study uh, coral bleaching, right? What, what's, the, what's the snapshot right now? Are we seeing any bleaching, or is it too early?
3: Uh, Right now, we're not seeing much bleaching at Hanama Bay yet, or paling of the corals. First, you'll you'll lose some color. We are seeing some over at Kualoa. We have had some over on the Big Island. I believe Brian had reports from his team. And also Lanikai Kailua, UH researchers, have seen bleaching already. But 2014-15 were the big bleaching years, and Hanama Bay didn't have as much of an impact as many of the other places. It was about 10% loss of corals. But we saw this in our long-term monitoring um, sites, where the 3-meter site was the one about 10 feet that um, lost about half of the corals, and it's starting to come back. And the deeper site also lost corals. There's a lot of really nice corals in the outside of Hanama, where people don't frequent and the inside you don't see many corals because there are so many people you'll just see the
0: corals in vertical spaces
3: or cracks and crevices where the fins cannot kick them.
0: And you know I think when we had you last on the show about a year ago you had just come out with the koa cards where they're little kind of a little flywheel that uh, snorkelers could take into the water to be able to uh, you know get information about what type of bleaching or paling that you're seeing
3: yes we still do have those you can get them at the division of aquatic resources on any of the islands and pick one up along with some um, information informational packets and uh, we are looking for the public to go out and then to get the information on the colors of the corals and this correlates with the health of corals. So it's a health assessment card. And then when we do this at enough places, we can then provide information to places like DAR and NOAA and others that are going to go out and develop some type of strategic leaching plans and where these places are and where the corals are less susceptible, things like that. And the place to put them on is at the PAC-IO site uh, at NOAA. That's where you can input any of the data from the Hawaiian Koa Coral Health Assessment
0: Cards. Right, so if folks are interested in, you know, being your citizen scientists and, and helping out with this, uh, they can they can get those cards. Yes, we would very much appreciate that. Now, we do have a call coming in. Michelle from Kaneohe, are you there?
6: I am. Aloha. Aloha. Ah, oh, gee, Hanama Bay. It's one of the most beautiful, most overused places. People have loved this place to death. And I'll be honest with you, I consciously quit going to Hanalma Bay over 30 years ago, because when my son was little, we used to go a lot. He was born in uh, 74, and, and up until he was about six or eight years old, we used to go a lot. But You know, it it was just increasingly seeing people just really loving the place to death, destroying the coral. At the time, people could smoke on the beach and leaving butts on the beach and, you know, just trampling the coral and stuff. And it broke my heart and a lot of my friends' hearts who, you know, we've had the same conversations that we would like to see the place turned into a marine conservation district uh, similar to... Uh, a place where, yeah, you, you can go look, but you know what? We are trying to rehabilitate this place as a sanctuary for the marine life who call this place home rather than an entertainment district for tourism. Okay. And that's just my mana'o, and uh, I'll hear the rest of you folks' conversation off air, and thank you for the work your folks are doing. Aloha.
0: Thank you, Michelle. Well, Nate, I don't know. you want to add something here? I mean, there is a concern that we just have too many tourists going down there. What's the city doing to maybe help control the crowds? What's the plan?
2: Sure. So thanks, Michelle, for calling in. First off, um, I did want to provide some kind of historical background that she had mentioned. Uh, So the 1970s and 80s were arguably the peak popularity of Panama Bay. Uh, Back then, we'd get close to 10,000 people on a daily basis down there. And so that kind of, as she mentioned, loving it to death led to the partnership that we have with Hawaii Sea Grant um, and a management plan that tried to reduce the amount of people coming in. So now we're at more of an average of about 3,000 visitors a day. Uh, that's prior to COVID-19. Um, it really fluctuated between like 2,000 to 4,500 a day, um, which is a significant improvement from those the days back in the 1970s and 80s when it really wasn't regulated as much. Um, she mentioned about smoking. Uh, I think all smoking on beaches got banned not too long ago, but 1993 was when I got banned down at Hama Bay. Um, and really it's since the nineties and since that, um, partnership with Hawaii sea grant, it's been improving, but we're looking to make it better, uh, to manage it better, to try and mitigate, uh, the negative impacts human interaction has with the natural resources uh, there. But it's a balancing act, right? This is a, a public facility um, that people can uh, can enjoy and should enjoy. Um, when it could, just like all of our beaches, it's open to the public, and it's one of the great things about Hawaii. But at the same time, it is a nature preserve. So we have to keep that um, conservation, uh, that edge, that, that focus uh, within the operations that we have there.
0: And is there a plan to I don't know limit the number down even from the three thousand that we've
2: been getting? I don't potentially, know how we do that. it's potentially, naturally. That it, thank you for asking that because one thing that we're looking at when when we do end up deciding to reopen the bay um, in today's environment of you know physical distancing with COVID nineteen um, there are restrictions that we will inherently have to put in place um, for places like the theater. So for those who aren't familiar, uh, when you come into the Bay, um, visitors and locals alike, you have to watch the orientation video. Um, and it's in a theater that's a fairly large theater, um, but obviously we're going to have to reduce the capacity and the amount of people that can go into that theater at a given time. So that right there serves as a way of of limiting the amount of people that are coming in. Um, so we're, that's probably one of the, the biggest kind of choke points, for lack of a better term, um, to limit the amount of people coming in. Um, but all of this is, is still being worked out uh, to try and balance, again, the, um, the public desire to, to visit the area, but also um, the uh, conservation efforts for the nature preserve.
0: Okay. Well, uh, this is the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Um, you can join our discussion by calling one We hope you'll stay with us. We need to go to a short break.
1: Sometimes you need a break from the chaos of the world, or maybe you just want something melodious to accompany you at work. Either way, we have just the thing. HPR 2, your home for classical music, is the state's only dedicated classical music station. Just like HPR 1, it's non-commercial, expertly curated, and community supported. It offers an oasis of classical music 24-7. To learn more, head to our website
7: or ask your smart speaker to play KIPO. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, offering reconnections to the art,
3: courtyards, and the museum community. Open Thursdays to Sundays with new evening
7: hours. HonoluluMuseum.org
0: This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Our guests in our studio today are Nathan Sirota with the City's Parks, and Recreation Department. Uh, Kule Rogers uh, is with the Hawaii Institute of Marine Biology's Coral Reef Ecology Lab. And Brian Nielsen is with DLNR's Division of Aquatic Resources. And, you know, we do have a listener who emailed us. uh, Pam suggests opening Honama Bay kind of every other day, um, you know, that kind of a basis, maybe Saturday and Sunday, so uh, the locals and tourists, you know, can get there, you know, on the weekends and Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, it's some schedule like that. That way, she says the reef and the fish can have a break. So I want to know, who wants to take that one?
2: Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of jump in on that one first. Uh, for, for sure, we'll definitely, when we decide to reopen, the the Tuesday closure or the at least one day we closure will we'll remain. Uh, So that that won't change. Um, But one of the things that will kind of help limit some of the the tourists that may be coming in is part of the Bill 44 that I had mentioned earlier, working its way through city council, is a fee structure for commercial vehicles coming into the Bay as well. Uh, So it classifies the commercial vehicles in different categories based off of the passenger capacity, and then it has fees associated with that. Um, And that was historically one of the... Um, issues that we had was, you know, there's a lot of dive companies and tour companies that want to come down there, and uh, access the bay for their customers. But we, there has to be again that balance between uh, the economic enjoyment of it and also the conservation aspect of it.
0: And you know, I know there's been talk about opening uh, the bay up, you know, potentially for for residents to enjoy prior to the influx of visitors, uh, and that August 1st. Um, deadline was extended to or pushed back to September 1st. I mean, I don't know what, that, what that's been like for the scientists. Kule, you want to talk about uh, that?
3: It's actually been wonderful for us to have the time when there are no visitors. But as a, as a local, I also would like to see the bay open for locals to enjoy before the visitors come back. So um, one thing I wanted to mention, too, what Nate had said earlier, about Hanama Bay is educating the visitors. It's an important thing because it's a place where they can get the education about the reefs that can help when they go to other reefs throughout the state.
0: Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, You know, uh, when we were out uh, on the bay there with you on Friday, uh, we did also see... uh, this large contraption, this cube that the scientists mm-hmm. were taking out in the water. That was part of a, a fish survey. I guess that's all part of the puzzle to see, you know, how our, how the bay's doing. Uh, Andrew Graham went out with some underwater cameras to document the behavior of fish in the preserve.
7: We have two GoPros. They're the GoPro Hero 8s. And it's just attached to a mount, so it's just like a two-handed thing for stability. And having two cameras is what gives us the distance and the size estimates. It's called a stereo video system. As long as the fish are targeted, visible in both cameras, we can estimate the size. So the main thing we're looking at is the flight initiation distance, or the FID. And so right now, because of COVID, Hanama has been closed for a couple months now. So we're trying to see if the fish have adapted to the absence of humans. Um, and already during when Hanama was open, the fish let you get pretty close to them. You can swim. And, Um, They're not too afraid of people because it's a protected area, but now we're just trying to see if they'll let us get any closer or if it's the same distance. Um, So we're doing all of these surveys now, and then when Hanama Bay opens again, we're going to do the same surveys of the fish flight initiation distance and see if it's further or closer or the same.
0: You know, I remember a time when uh, uh, people brought down, like, frozen peas to feed the fish, and then that was a big no-no because you were changing the behavior of the wildlife. Uh, But I don't know, Brian, uh, uh, you know, what kind of uh, surveys are you folks doing with the fish?
1: Yeah, so uh, we do have staff uh, going down weekly and doing snorkel surveys, uh, counting the number of fish, what what types of species. And uh, we've been doing these these surveys, uh, gosh, I think more than 15 years or longer. But, um, you know, as you mentioned, the, the fish feeding from the past, that that presents some data analysis issue because you see this big spike in, in fish numbers, you know, back in the fish feeding days and, and then those declining. And, you know, the, a typical biologist uh, would think, oh, gosh, you know, what's going on? Why are, the, why are the fish declining? Well, well, they're not being fed peas anymore. So, um, yeah, things have changed a lot down there. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is a, a great uh, opportunity to, to study fish and, and fish behavior in the bay
0: well you know i r- recall when that uh rule came down about you know no more feeding the fish uh, a friend who went down there got a a chunk of her knee uh bitten off by a parrot fish and i guess <laughs> it was just real aggressive and just hungry uh so yeah it's been just kind of interesting to see you know how they behave uh you know post p uh period <laughs> you know so I'll be curious okay. once we get you know, snorkelers back in the water. What are the fish going to do?
1: Yeah, and so that's, that's another excellent point. Um, our, our divers will continue to do the surveys down there so we can do a, you know, before and after type of comparison to, to see how the fish behavior and composition and numbers change. Um, and then also with, with the, you know, weekly Tuesday closures, that's another element to uh, compare as well.
0: And, you know, I, I know that uh, uh, the, uh, the lifeguards were always, you know, busy down there with, with the crowds, and I, I know those lifeguards have had to be relocated elsewhere, but is, is there anything else, um, Nate, on the city side, just on on the uh, ocean safety officers and, and the setup down there? I mean, has the city been able to get in there and do, like, the repairs that they need to do on some of the facilities?
2: Oh, Certainly. Yeah, so there haven't been any any furloughs or layoffs of city workers as a result of COVID-19. So the staff that are there, that are civil servants, have have been working still. Um, As you mentioned, actually, not too long ago, uh, Ocean Safety actually created its own district out of Panama Bay. Um, But, yes, they have had to uh, reallocate those resources, which um, can be a blessing in disguise, too, because I know that there's the effort to uh, extend their hours' rights that had passed not too long ago from the city council, of extending lifeguard coverage from dawn dust. Uh so uh, in that regard, you know that we have had to adjust. Uh, but it has, as you mentioned, given an opportunity to spruce up the place maintenance-wise. Um, and then, also, as I mentioned, from the uh, policy side too, uh, looking at how we how we can better manage it um, moving forward.
0: And you're still getting calls from people asking, when are we going to get a chance to go in there? Right, when are you going to open?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Almost every day, um, either the media or the general public are asking, you know, if there's been a, um, a confirmed reopening date established, um, and we still aren't at that point yet. So uh, one of the things that's, that's good for everyone to, to remember is you know, Hanama Bay is not just another beach. There are so many moving parts uh, to the Nature Preserve, uh, whether it's the research that uh, people like Dr. Rogers are doing or Hawaii Sea Grant um, whether it's the concessions that are, uh, operate down there as well, too, the snorkel rentals, the tramway going down, uh, seeing uh, volunteer efforts from the Friends of Panama Bay who are a great support. Um, so it's, it's not just a, a regular uh, sand and water and snorkeling beach. There's uh, a nature preserve operation that's uh, in effect there that we have to look at how, um, how it operates in this uh, pandemic era.
0: And, you know, I don't know if you know, but then what's happening with the concession uh, there? Because, you know, they're under contract, right, with the city. And doesn't the city take in some of the revenue um, that's generated from those concession stands?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure what the latest is on their contracts. um, But I can imagine for them it it might be a difficult decision. um, Because if we do reopen, uh, whether they want to come back or not, uh, knowing that there's going to be likely less people coming. You know, we have... Um, The 14-day quarantine for incoming visitors uh, got pushed back to September 1st for um, anyone trying to legally avoid that with pre-testing. So for them, is it worth it, right? So that's a a lot of things to consider in that regard as well.
0: Okay. Well, we uh, just want to let our listeners know that uh, this is the conversation. We're talking about uh, Hanama Bay, and we would uh, love to hear what you think. Call us at 941 3689 or one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine from the Neighbor Islands. Uh, you can share your comments also on our Facebook page. Um, Brian, I have to ask. So, are you hearing anything from the public from your end?
1: Yeah. So um, we're also getting calls um, from our end uh, asking, you know, uh, the Department of Land and Natural Resources to keep uh, Hanama Bay closed um, because we manage the uh, the Submerged areas or the underwater areas is designated as the marine life conservation district, and so, you know, the city and county they manage the access and um, all of the facilities. So, of course, we're, you know, kind of looking towards them to to make that call, but also, you know, trying to um, collaborate with them and, and support them as much as as we can um, to make sure that, uh, you know, the the uh, situation. Um, you know, is is managed appropriately. Um, as we've heard from, you know, a couple of the callers um, today, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of, um, you know, concern about uh, the impacts of tourism. And this is uh, across the state, um, especially as we've seen record tourism um, to Hawaii over the last couple of years and impacts um, Malkata to Makai in terms of our natural resources. So people are are starting to think more about sustainable tourism uh hanama bay uh they're they're working on a strategic plan uh, right now for the bay um this carrying capacity study that dr rogers is carrying out so um you know we're, we're also uh, rethinking um you know conservation in, in the bay um as well um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a topic that's coming up a lot. We're hearing um, from, from people about this um, quite a bit recently.
0: And Kule, what can you tell us about what other scientists are doing, you know, across the globe uh, when it comes to managing resources like this? Well, some communities and some researchers and managers have groups
3: together, several different ones, and they are suggesting things that can be done. Some of the suggestions uh, and coordinating what's being done, some of them are getting algal samples and seeing if the water quality is changing, looking at isotope analyses. Um, Many of them are looking at sedimentation effects and how that has changed. Uh, It's different, of course, for different areas, but they're trying to coordinate efforts so that they can have standardized things throughout the world to be able to show that this was a global impact.
0: And the Caring Capacity Study that you're involved in, you know, when will uh, we see the results from that?
3: Well, the year one results, Nate has already put on the city and county website. Year two is in review right now, and that will be put on the website as soon as that's available. And we're now in year three. So we have different types of carrying capacity studies that we're actually looking at. So we've looked at corals, fishes. Successive components to the overall carrying capacity study will include physical, facility, social types of carrying capacity. So we can look at the overall impacts to the
0: bay. Okay, we have a call, uh, Jace from Kaimuki. You have a question for us?
2: Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I'd like to
6: know. You know, the fish, they uh, prune uh, coral and produce our sand that we have. I'd like to know if do you do. You know if their um, population has been increasing because of the lack of um, tourists down there, or uh, has it been stabilizing, or what?
0: Who wants to take that? Kulei or Brian? Well, we are. We
3: are looking at all different types of species of fishes parrotfish included and seeing if their behavior is changing so we're following different types of parrotfish and um, we're also putting uh, gopros in eight sectors throughout the bay so that we can see if behavior has changed Uh, right now i think maybe brian might have some data on changes in parrotfish capacity we don't have that yet until we. The
1: bay reopens, Brian. Yeah, uh, in terms of our, our snorkel surveys, uh, we are getting reports that the parrotfish are, you know, a lot more friendly, getting getting closer uh, to the divers than usual. But in terms of population trends statewide, uh, we are seeing declines in, in parrotfish, especially in areas closer to um, population centers. Um, you know, where where more people live and and more people fish. Um, so, you know, there is some concern about um, parrotfish, especially the, the ones that are harvested more for, for food uh, and in um, areas that, that are fished a lot throughout the state.
0: Well, I, I do love to look at parrotfish, but I do like to eat them as well. So I, I know that there's a lot of interest about parrotfish. We have another call on the line. Uh, City Council Member Tommy Waters uh, is on the line. Good
8: morning. Hello, Catherine.
0: Well, Councilmember, I I understand that uh, you've had uh, some discussions, you know, about the reopening of Hanama Bay. What's your position on that?
8: So I I think the fact that it's been closed has been a wonderful thing. It's allowing the resource to regenerate. And I have no problem keeping it closed. I also spoke with the friends of Hanama Bay, and, and they're in... It appears they're in, in agreement. And the longer we can keep it closed, the better, I think. Um, you know, I did listen to part of your show talking about Bill 44 dealing with the fees. And you are raising the fee from 750 to $10 for out-of-state folks. Of course, in-state folks, it's free. Um, but initially, they wanted to raise the rate for parking residents from three dot up to three dollars. So I you know, I got a lot of calls from a bunch of local swimmers who go down to the bay early in the morning and they ask that we keep it at a dollar. So that's what we're doing there. But you know, my hope too is that by raising the fees maybe some people might might think twice and it might be able to control the amount of folks that go and visit the bay. Although, you know, $10 is still a very, very reasonable price for our visitors to pay for such a beautiful, beautiful experience.
0: And, Councilmember, do you have any other ideas about how we could uh, also better manage those numbers? I mean, you know, w- we look to see what's going on on Kauai, where they're trying to, I think, limit the number of uh, people that go down to Haena, you know, up at Haleakala, the National Park Service it has a reservations system in place because they have limited parking at the top of the mountain, and you know I think there are fights that have broken out over parking. Uh, so, any other thoughts about how to manage the numbers without a, having such a you know a very burdensome burdensome uh,
8: system? Yeah, with today's technology, I don't see why there's any reason we can't do a reservation type system. Um I would completely support that, and perhaps using the extra income that we're going to make by raising the fees, we could implement that. Of course, I'm, I'm really curious to see the results of of the caring capacity study. because um, I mean, if you just use the common sense um, view by just looking at it, gee whiz, there is a lot of people there. Um, and it can't how, how can it not hurt the resource? So, I, I, again, I'm just really interested in seeing what the carrying capacity is by the experts, by the scientists, and then using that da- data to um, figure out how, how to go forward. But, you know, you also mentioned something about the, the concessionaires. You know, if we limit the amount of people going down there, you're going to limit how much money the concessionaires make, but... You know, I, I I feel bad for them, but at the same time, you know, this is a beautiful resource that we need to malama and take care of.
0: Well, thank you so much for, for calling, uh, Council Member. We do have another call coming in from the Big Island, Napua. What's on your mind?
9: Well, I, I just feel like I was born in 1958, so I visited Hanama Bay as a child before all the um, development there. And I really feel that if people are are interested in keeping it beautiful and pristine and ecologically healthy, they should just allow only handicapped access for that road and take out the concession. Because I remember a time when we had to walk down the trail bringing play pens and my dad them and coolers and everything we needed. And there would be maybe like one other family there. And it was just so beautiful. And there was a sense of isolation and it was a mystery. That has really—it's um, not there anymore after 50 years. I always just want to cry whenever I go back there and see how it is now. In fact, I don't go there anymore because I remember—I want to remember how it was when I was a child. So, yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you for those thoughts. And Nate, um, I don't know—we've got about three minutes left. But any thoughts about you know uh, what else we can do to protect that bay and and you know balance? The, the desires of the residents to be able to to go down there and visit it again before all the tourists come.
2: Sure. Um, Councilmember Water's suggestion is, is a pretty good one in, in my opinion on the, the reservation system. that's not a, a bad idea that way we can get an idea of how many people want to come in and, and actually throttle it in that regard. Um, but that's kind of that highlights a lot of what has been put in place to um, limit the amount of people going down there. Um, so you know the the parking lot has a certain capacity we close that down whenever the parking lot is full and don't reopen it until there's a significant amount of spaces reopened. this is uh, pre COVID-19 closure Um, and then as I mentioned that theater has limited capacity and people are required to go and view it um, unless they've seen it within the calendar year Um, so those while those all serve uh, another purpose of you know education and uh, limiting uh, people going in they are also tools Help manage the amount of people um, that go into there. Um, but certainly there are, um, are other ways we can look at managing that.
0: Okay, uh, final thoughts, Kule?
3: Well, I agree with what Nate and Brian are saying. Um, again, I think also there should be some time when the locals can use the bay without having the visitor impact. So people like Napool on the big island can have that same experience that they had when they were younger Um, i think there's a lot of educational signage and snorkeling etiquette um, that's available and there could be additional website information to provide a safer snorkeling experience for visitors but again i just want to say that it's not managing the resources it's really managing
0: the people okay and final thoughts brian
1: yeah those were were great points and you know i just want to say that nate's kind of been on the hot seat in terms of use at hanama bay but also just mentioned that this is an issue we're experiencing statewide our our marine life conservation districts are are you know the marine jewels of the state um, yet they're also areas that get some of the most use so these are problems we're really going to need to tackle throughout the whole state so some of the ideas that have been suggested today have been great and something that we should really consider implementing statewide
0: all right well thank you so much uh, uh nate Zeroda with the city's parks and recreation department dlnr's brian nelson with the dlnr uh, aquatic resources division and kule rogers from the hawaii institute of marine biology's coral reef ecology lab uh, we want to know what your thoughts are about honama bay please contact the talkback line leave those comments that number eight oh eight seven nine two eighty two seventeen. Email us at talkback at Hawaiipublicradio dot org. And if you want to listen back to today's show, check out the Conversation Podcast at Hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.